and during some of the toughest times, I have a little piece of paper in my wallet that I keep all the time, even to this moment, uh, of different things that I that mean to me, different sayings that mean a lot to me, uh, things that I strive for, recognizing my responsibility to give back. Reoccurring mantra I got into in college where I would just say, I'm going to break the mold. Two days after my second injury, my dad flew out to Indiana and we drove home. Went right up to my room, slept for a day, and then I woke up the next morning, I spray-painted my wall. No quitting me. I remember, you know, there is no quitting me and I won't, you know, I won't give up. The number one thing you gotta remember is your transferring energy. And whatever energy you got is the energy the viewers are gonna have. You are listening to Intentional Performers with Brian Levinson, where we talk with experts of craft about their journey and what they have intentionally done to be their best self. As we talk with them, the hope is that we uncover intentional gems that you can use in your life. Now, let's kick it over to Brian to introduce this week's guest. Hello, everyone. I'm Brian Levinson. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm doing something different today because I feel like today requires something different. So this past Sunday, uh, it currently is Monday and in the morning, uh, I found out that Kobe Bryant had passed away and texts just started flooding in from friends, from people in and outside the basketball world about this. And I didn't I never met Kobe Bryant. Um, I've met a lot of people that have, and I've spent time with him, but I've had a lot of people pass away that are close to me in the last year, and those certainly hit me hard, and I felt those, but this felt different, and so I wanted to share some of what I'm feeling right now and share some of the notes I've got on Kobe that I have gathered over the years. So first of all, The texts that I'm getting are from, you know, people from college, uh, people that are big sports fans, people that are sort of on the outside looking into sports. And it's just pretty incredible to see and to witness how much somebody that these people have never met are impacted by his passing. And so I think the magnitude of it is really big. And I also think it speaks to the power of sports. And I'm going to talk a lot about Kobe today because to me, I've been around some great performers, some of the greatest performers in sport and outside of sport. And certainly that's what this podcast is all about. But when I thought about who is the one person that I'd want to interview for this podcast, it was Kobe. So his name was at the top of the list. And sure, he's one of the great all-time basketball players. There's, there's no question about that. But for me, when I study greatness and when I study the tip of the arrow or the top of the pyramid performers, the way that he set his mind for preparation and for performance was as good as I've ever seen and as good as I've ever witnessed and as good as I've ever researched and studied. And I think his mind, or I really believe that I know that his mind is really what allowed him to fulfill his potential and tap into something that many of us cannot tap into. And so I am inspired by Kobe 
and I want to continue to learn from him even though he's gone. And fortunately for us, he has written a few books and has really been open since he hung up his sneakers and has gone into the quote-unquote real world. So there's a ton of amazing content out there to learn from him. And this morning I woke up and my meditation practice has really been been struggling or, or lacking, I should say, probably not struggling. And I said, you know what? Kobe would wake up every morning and meditate uh, and he's way busier than I am. Uh, and why can't I do that? So I spent some time meditating. I also spent some time with my kids this morning. Um, I have two small kids. Our mornings are a bit hectic. I'm also one of those people. I'm, I'm not a 4.30 a.m. wake-up guy uh, or even 5.30 a.m. wake-up guy. My wife is, and, and she's a beast like that. And, and Kobe was known for 4.30 wake-ups. Um, but I'm not that. I've always been someone who needs my sleep, first of all. And then second of all, in the morning, uh, I, I'm grumpy, I'm grouchy, and I'm, I'm slow moving. Uh, but this morning, I, I really made sure to spend some time with my son, who was awake. Uh, and then later, uh, with my daughter, who woke up a little bit later, for some reason, she slept in this morning. And so I got to spend some time with them, which was really, really special. And as we get into Kobe, I think one of the things that really became apparent as he continued to progress in his career and continued to age and, and become wiser and wiser with that age was his relationship with his daughters and, and obviously his daughter that passed, who he mentions all the time in interviews um, and her competitiveness and her desire to get better. And, and she was a basketball player as well. And so this morning really made an effort to spend some time with my kids. Uh, I'm also going away today. So I've got to travel for work. And I thought back to a lot of the athletes that I've worked with over the years and how they're always traveling. And one of the things I've really tried to focus on is traveling as little as possible, uh, if I could, for my career. Uh, I just really value being home. And unlike the athletes that I often serve, I can pick and choose. Um, it's one of the luxuries of being in business for yourself as opposed to working for an organization is that I can choose what I do. And I'm really excited to do the work I'm doing Tomorrow I leave tonight uh, for a gig, a retreat that I'm helping to run an offsite. And at the same time, I am going to be away from my family. And I'm actually traveling a lot over the next couple months, some for work, some for play. And I'm fortunate to be able to do that and do what I love every day. But it does come with consequence. Um, sacrifice is probably too strong of a word for, for me. But certainly the athletes that I once again work with, they are often on the road, certainly the pro basketball players. They play 82 games. They play a preseason. Um, it's a lot of travel. So um, I think back to a Kobe and how dedicated he was once he, once he retired to being there for his kids, coaching them in basketball, being around with them. He often talked about playing board games with them and just being with them. And I think that's something that all of us struggle with is how do we pursue what we are so passionate about in our craft if we are fortunate enough to be able to do that? while still giving those that we care most about our time, our attention, our energy. And so one of the things that I thought about this morning is just being there for my kids, telling them I love them. Uh, they were so sweet. They came uh, and gave me a big hug and said, we'll miss you. And, um, you know, I think those are the things that I, once again, will take away from Kobe. So when I think about my morning this morning, I meditated, I worked out. Uh, I've been having some back issues lately and have been not working out as much as possible. And I just sort of said, hey, Kobe, Kobe would work out. Um, you can get on the elliptical with a with a 
a little bit of a hurt back and it, it won't hurt it anymore. So I got on the elliptical, I meditated and I spent time with my kids. And that was my little way of paying tribute to somebody who, even though I've never met him, I, I consider him to be a mentor of mine. He's somebody who I studied and tried to figure out ways to embed some of his mindset into my own. So I wanted to share that with all of you. And then what I thought I would do is really share some of what I've learned from Kobe over the years from reading about him, watching videos, listening to podcasts. Um, I've really tried to soak up as much as possible when it comes to his mindset. And I had on a guy named Cal Fussman on my podcast. And Cal is an incredible writer. And Cal lives out in Los Angeles and actually had Kobe on his podcast. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. But when we started the conversation with Cal, if you'd listened to it, uh, you might remember that Cal and I started talking about motivational speaking. And Cal does a lot of speaking and travels the country. He's just a remarkable storyteller. And that's how he got connected with Kobe is Kobe is also a remarkable storyteller. And Kobe talks about after retiring how that's what he considered his job was to be a storyteller. And he was pretty open about that. And Cal legendary storyteller. And, and when Cal and I started our conversation, uh, he said, he, he sort of talked about motivational speaking. And I said, yeah, I don't really think of myself as a motivational speaker. And we got into it. And then Cal said to me, yeah, but you can be inspirational. Like maybe stay away from that word motivational, but what about inspiration? And we all need inspiration. And so when I think about Kobe, Kobe talked about inspiration uh, often. He was quick to say that inspiration drives the world. And Kobe was inspiring for what he did on the court, but I think what was going on off the court was just as inspiring. And we're going to get into some of what he's been up to or what he was up to uh, before he passed. Um, so inspiration is something that I will take from Kobe and, and thanks to Cal for challenging me to try to inspire the world. And I went back and forth on whether or not I should record something and, and share it with all of you. And my thought was, you know what, if these stories of Kobe... Um, can inspire you like they've inspired me, um, I think that's a good thing. And I think we all have an obligation to inspire each other. We're all in this humanity thing together, and we're all part of this world together. We all need inspiration. None of us is, is too big to get inspiration. And Kobe is a shining example of that because he was never too big to still be inspired. Um, so I also yesterday, uh, I'll just close with me and then we'll get into him. Uh, he's much more interesting. Uh, I also yesterday went to a high school basketball game with my son. My son is four years old and, uh, we go to games all the time on the weekend because of the nature of my job. I'll often bring him around. And so we spent times in professional arenas. We spent times in, in college gyms and, and high school gyms. Uh, and so we went and watched Paul, the six, which is a team that I worked with for seven years. And some of the guys that still play on that team, I, I still know, and, uh, just great, awesome kids and an amazing coaching staff and coach Glenn Farrell, the head coach there is a dear friend. It is somebody who greatly helped me uh, in my career when I started off and continues to be a mentor for, for myself. And I watched them play and they were their number. They're ranked the number 10 team in the country. Uh, they're loaded with talent, but they're also loaded with just incredible humans and great kids that I know will continue to fulfill the massive, massive shoes that Kobe and others have left. Uh, and they were playing a team, St. John's, who's ranked number 17 in the country. And just to watch these kids go up and down and compete and nonstop is a reminder. I think we often think that the good old days is always better than today when it comes to sports. 
and especially we, for someone like me, I think Kobe was six years older than me. We grew up thinking that those guys are better and, and yada, yada, yada. I'm telling you, these kids today are, are ballers and they're competitive and they are just going at it. And so it's in good hands. And being there with my son who's four and just watching his head go up and down with the kids and watching them play and, uh, you know, sort of commentate on what's going on. And it's just really special. And once again, I, I felt sort of at home being in a gym. I've heard those sneakers squeak uh, in all kinds of gyms all over the country and even all over the world. When I studied abroad in Madrid, Spain, I was probably the only one that went to more basketball games than I did soccer. But, uh, you know, basketball is a game that I understand. It's a game that I love. And uh, to see my son just absorb it, um, I get a little bit of what Kobe was feeling with his daughter, Gia, who who also passed away. And I think it's up to all of us to share with our children what we're passionate about and certainly let them find their own journey and, and what they're passionate about as well. But uh, to spend that quality time with him in a gym um, just felt like um, a good way to spend my Sunday, especially after getting the news. Um, now to Kobe. So uh, as many of you know, I, I'm writing a book. And in this book, I went back and sort of saw how many times I mentioned his name. It's everywhere. And my book is all about shifting your mind, uh, figuring out what your mindset needs to be in preparation and what it needs to be in performance and understanding that those two minds are really different. And Kobe embodies this idea of shifting your mind. And I had on Laron Prophet on the podcast. Laron played with Kobe, also played with Michael Jordan. And he tells a story about Laron and how Laron was, I think, like six for 19 at halftime in a game and just struggling with a shot. And, and Laron goes up to Kobe and is like, Kobe, you'll be good. You'll get it. Keep, you know, keep going. And Kobe looks him stone face and, and tells Laron, I know. What do you think I put in all this work for? And if you really study Kobe, you'll learn that he had this perfectionism that he used in preparation. He did that as well in uh, writing. And we're going to talk about perfectionism a little bit. But then in the game, he was adaptable. Kobe had this humility about him to go get help and ask for help and learn from others. But then when he stepped on the floor, he was a black mamba. He was arrogant. You know, Kobe was selfish with his time when all his teammates were maybe out and about, especially in a town like Los Angeles. He was in the gym working on his craft. Uh, but then on the game day, even though he definitely was a shooter, he holds the all-time record in the NBA for most missed shots. Kobe cared about winning, uh, really would just think about what he could do to help the team win a game. And that's why he, he cared so much about the defensive side of the game and being there for his teammates. So Kobe embodies this idea of shifting your mind from humble to arrogant, perfectionism to adaptable. He was somebody who did fear failure. He would do everything it took to make sure he wouldn't lose in preparation, but then he had this fearlessness in performance. So Kobe embodies the idea of shifting your mind. He would visualize, he talked about visualizing as an eight-year-old, you know, being in Italy and working on his game and counting down. Many of us grew up playing basketball, would count down five, four, three, two, one. Imagine that you're playing somewhere. He used visualization throughout his career, but he also practiced being in the present and he was extremely mindful. So his ability to shift his mind is just such a, a reminder to me that the book that I'm writing is sort of on point. He also talked about Beyonce. So he did an interview with Lewis Howes on his podcast. It's also online if you want to watch it on, on YouTube. And he talked about Beyonce, who is another person that I study about shifting your mind and how perfect perfect she was and how, how she always strived to be perfect, knowing that she couldn't be perfect, but continue to watch film, get better, improve. Um, and then your ability to shift out of that and be adaptable when you, when the lights are on and, and you're competing. So shifting your mind was something that Kobe 
really understood. Motivation. This was a guy who was always looking to be motivated. Similar to Michael Jordan, I, I had on David Falk on the podcast, who uh, was Michael Jordan's longtime agent and spent a lot of time with him. And he always talked about how Michael would always uh, basically create a fire and, and think about how he could add woods to his fire and continue to build that fire of motivation. If you study Michael, you'll learn that he used everything as motivation. And Kobe did the same. Uh, when Kobe was drafted by the Charlotte Hornets and then immediately traded to Los Angeles Lakers, the Charlotte Hornets uh, GM called him and said, hey, I'm glad we're trading you because we really can't use you here in Charlotte. And Kobe was like, you can't use me? Okay. Uh, and, and it stuck with him. And he said he used it for motivation. And he came to L.A., with a chip on his shoulder and really wanted to go to town. He talked about George Carl, who was the head coach of the Denver Nuggets and was the head coach of the all-star team when Kobe was playing in Madison Square Garden and Kobe was going against his idol, Michael Jordan, and they were going back and forth. And then George Carl didn't play him in the fourth quarter of the all-star game. And so Kobe made it a mission every time he played the Nuggets and he would play him in the playoffs to really take it to George Carl for, for benching him. Uh, he used the number 24. So many of you know that he switched numbers from eight to 24 and one of the reasons he switched to the number 24 was to remember that there's 24 hours in a day and every day is important. So Kobe really used motivation as inspiration. And as I said earlier, he thought that inspiration drove the world. So he always was thinking about how can I be inspired? How can I inspire others? What ways can I continue to be motivated? This was somebody who really thought about how he can continue to be motivated. And remember, this is somebody who played in the NBA for 20 years. Uh, he, well, you know, had injuries that he had to overcome. He had adversity, which we're going to get to in a little bit personally and professionally. And was somebody that was durable, even though he was going through pain and played through a broken finger one year. Uh, he needed that constant inspiration and he used it. Uh, and I think all of us need to look inward and look outward for how we can continue to be inspired and motivated every day. All of us are human. We go up and down. Certainly yesterday, I think I got texts from people that said they were just sad and they didn't know what to do. I even had a, a young man ask, hey, what do you do in this situation? Because uh, I don't think he'd ever felt this before. And I think we all need inspiration and we need to take what we've learned from Kobe and think about how we can live each day with that 24 hours that he's so much focused on. The other thing about Kobe that I think most people don't know unless they really dove into his mindset is curiosity. This is somebody who said that his favorite book growing up was Curious George, and he still loves the book Curious George. This is somebody that I uh, had the fortune of learning a story about a, a coach who coached him and said that Kobe would always ask why. He needed to know why. He leveraged the why so that he, he could know how and what to do when the game was on. And so there's an amazing story about him really being a why guy and challenging coaches. I think he was hard to coach because he needed to know why. And if he didn't know why, you weren't going to get everything out of him that you thought you needed because he might have thought that it was it, there was a different way to go. He was a brilliant mind, uh, just somebody who constantly was curious and asking questions. He was so curious that he would spend time with people away from basketball. So Michael Jackson was somebody who he would ask about performing. He studied John Wooden to learn more about what it's like to be a great coach. He coached his daughter. Uh, he asked Oprah about what's it like to build a media company. He asked Tim Cook at Apple, what's it like to build a culture and a business? This was somebody who constantly was thinking about how he could get better. When he got older, he realized that his game was going to have to change. His athleticism was starting to become diminished. And he would go learn from Akeem Olajuwon, who had the best footwork of probably any 
big, any big man basketball player of all time. And he went down to Houston and spent time with him, even though he was already a Hall of Famer. He was constantly curious. He spent time with Gary Payton to learn how to play defense on the ball um, and to really stay close to defenders when he was getting screened. He was one of the few people that could really learn from Michael Jordan. Michael, like Kobe, was a, a real competitor and was pretty closed off to, I think, a lot of the other players in the league. And Kobe, I think, was similar, but they saw eye to eye. They had a similar mindset, a similar approach. He spent time with Jordan learning about the nuances of the game and, and would question Jordan on it. And Jerry West, the man who drafted him to Lakers and who is the logo of the NBA, he spent a lot of time with Jerry learning. And then the one other story that I think is is pretty wild is, you know, he had an incredible game in New York, I think, where he dropped 61 points. And that game is legendary. And what people don't know is the night before, or, or it's been publicized a little bit, but the night before he watched Batman, and that was the Batman where Heath Ledger was the Joker. And Heath Ledger was obsessed with getting into role into that role. And obviously Heath, you know, had passed away and it's a complicated story. But he really studied Heath and how Heath got into his character. And so he approached that game in the garden with the same intensity and sort of seriousness that that uh, Heath Ledger did. And he said that day he didn't want to mess with the celebrities, talk to Spike Lee on the sideline. He was just there focused. And he talked about being in the zone and being in the flow state that day. And so this is somebody who really set his mind. He really thought about how he wanted to show up and was always learning about how he could do that better. And I think that's a really impressive thing about Kobe is he talked about outworking everybody early in his career. And as he got older, he learned how to work smart. And he really talked about how he shifted his mind, changed his mind, grew to really think about how he needed to show up and adapt as he continued to get older. But make no mistake about it. Kobe was really a perfectionist. And perfectionism is something that we're told, oh, don't, don't try to be perfect. Just focus on progress. But Kobe, was his attention to detail was insane. Uh, his recall, his ability to remember specific details was really incredible. Um, and when he got to the Lakers, he knew... He was a, there were a lot of really good players ahead of him. There was a guy named Eddie Jones, who was a great shooting guard. There's a guy named Nick Van Exel, who was a great point guard. And when he got there, he said, I tried to be perfect. I wanted to do it every single day in practice, really make sure I was getting better and improving. He also did tap dancing to work on his footwork. He was, he was obsessed. He, he talks about looking at a poster um, when he was younger um, of, I forgot who it was. It might have been Charles Barkley boxing out. And he would study the footwork that Barkley was in to try to learn how to be better at boxing out. So this was somebody who was looking at pictures and looking at images and studying film and reading and trying to find ways to perfect his craft. And hopefully we all can find that thing that we're obsessed with and learn how to perfect our craft as best we can, knowing that we'll never perfect it, but we should always be constantly prog progressing and moving toward that place of perfection. We owe it to ourselves. We only get one shot at this. Let's do it. And then there's the other side of him, which was imperfect, flawed. The thing that we have to bring up is he had infidelity and it's a truth. And, you know, it, it's a complicated situation to dive into, but it is the reality. And um, what happened in Colorado, it's, it's, it's hard to know exactly what happened, um, but there's no doubt that there's regret there. And he had to shift and he had to change how he was showing up for his family. And he also uh, had to change his mind. And it's really a watershed moment for him. 
I think on the court and off the court. I think part of what you saw with him as a dad and his devotion to his wife probably came from some of that. And I'm making assumptions here, but um, you know, it's worth noting that you know that there's a mistake there. This isn't somebody who lived this unblemished, perfect life. Uh, none of us do, by the way. None of us do. Um, and I think what I respect most is what he did after the fact, um, how he showed up after it uh, for his family, what he did on the court to make sure that he could still be the professional that he wanted to be. This is somebody who created an alter ego after that called the Black Mamba because he knew that people were coming from him, coming for him. Remember, he lost a lot of his endorsements. People were booing him. People were saying nasty stuff to him every time he stepped on the floor. And he had to create the Black Mamba. So a lot of people don't get to choose their nickname. This is somebody, he watched the movie Kill Bill. There was a character in it called the Black Mamba, which was an assassin and a deadly assassin. And he realized when he stepped on the floor, that was the approach he had to have. So he created this Black Mamba mindset and he, I think he changed at home as well. I mean, what he talks about when it comes to family and being there for his kids. And he also admitted that his kids changed him. He changed how he interacted with people, but he had to change. He had flaws just like the rest of us did. He was not perfect as a human being. And I think we should all remember that. And we should all have grace towards people when they make mistakes. And I think what I respect most about him was it seemed from the outside looking in that he learned a lot from that mistake. The other thing was he struggled with teammates. I mean, you won't hear that Kobe was the greatest teammate of all time. And trust me, I've been around basketball circles and I've heard who was a great teammate and who wasn't. That wasn't what you heard about when it came to Kobe. He had a leadership style that if you weren't giving your all, he had no time for you. And he admitted later in his career and after he retired that sometimes he probably needed to understand people's motivation as far as why they might not put, be putting in the work because he would cast them off as being lazy. And so... Kobe, I think if you would go back and sort of reflect on his own leadership style, yes, it was effective, but clearly him and Shaq were not able to, you know, have a marriage that worked. Um, I think, you know, Kobe's ego probably got in the way of that a little bit and Shaq's as well. And furthermore, Kobe wanted to win and he wanted to prove to people that he could win without Shaq. But, you know, he was not a perfect teammate. And I think that imperfection is also worth noting for all of us. Um, but back to that Mamba mentality, the fact that he developed it and created it for himself is just, it's incredible. Um, what are we doing to create the mentality that we want to have? Um, how creative will we be in creating that mindset or that alter ego that a lot of us need? Um, we need it. It's not easy to be consistent with how we show up. And I think for him, just like the number 24, it was really helpful for him to shift his mind away from perhaps some darkness that uh, was going on in his life and, and to shed a light and, and to sort of rise with that. The other thing about Kobe was he was a big practitioner of mindfulness and meditation. So there's a great video of him going to the LA Chargers during preseason and somebody asked him a question about how does he get into the now? And Kobe said that when he was 16 years old, he was playing in a game and he was guarding a guy. The guy passed the ball. Um, the team was up, I think, uh, a point. Uh, another person shot a three they missed it Kobe's man sort of back cut grabbed the rebound put it back in and, and Kobe's team lost the game and Kobe the next day was in geometry class and his mind started to wander as the teacher was talking and he was like oh wait a second what's going on here and he realized that during the game his mind was wandering in the same way 
that he, it was in geometry class. And his inability to box his man out, which caused his team to lose, was the same inability he, he was having to focus in geometry. So while he wasn't obsessed with geometry in the same way he was basketball, he would use geometry class to train his mind to be in the present so that he could do that when he stepped on the floor. And he also worked with George Mumford, who's a legendary uh, meditation coach. Uh, Phil Jackson, his head coach with the Lakers, who was nicknamed the Zen master. Uh, he also uh, praises and, and talks about a lot. So Kobe learned how to be in the moment. He also did things like he developed his left hand away from the court. So he would write with his left, eat with his left. All of those things are to develop a, a mindfulness, an awareness. And we can train that in ourselves. We can train the ability to be mindful, to be aware. And Kobe, uh, I wouldn't say mastered it because none of us truly master it, but he worked awfully hard. And I think that goes back to the story with Laurent Prophet was one of his abilities to ignore what was going on and all the noise around him when he would miss shots or all the noise when people were heckling him or all of the noise that would go on and being in LA with Shaq and the drama was his ability to stay present. It also helped him when he would get hurt. He would often talk about, you know, the way you think about goals is you set a goal, it should be a mountain. And then you get to the top of that mountain one foot at a time, one, one step at a time. And in his documentary, The Muse, he talked about coming back from an Achilles and being really sort of short term in his thinking and being present every day and figure out how he could make a step forward every day. Once again, when we face adversity, the ability to take it step by step by step while knowing where we're trying to go uh, is, is really valuable. He called his Achilles injury his, his climbing of Mount Everest because he knew it was just this massive mountain at the end of his career, but he wanted to come back and leave the game on his terms, not on an injury's terms. And he did just that. Away from the game, and this is what I think separates Kobe from a lot of the great performers, a lot of great performers are not able to adjust away from their environment, especially in sports. You have to understand that they are told where to be, when to be there. There's a lot of structure and organization that goes on for athletes that they don't have to think about, that once they retire, they have to keep a calendar, they have to you know, set, a, set their schedule every day. They, they have much more autonomy away from the game than they have in the game. And I think what I respect so much about Kobe is that he was such a deep thinker. He was a savant. He was a genius. And he thought about business. He thought about writing. He thought about producing. This is somebody who created a podcast show. At the end of the day, he should be remembered as a storyteller, as a creative. And he just brought that creativity, that storytelling into the game of basketball. And when he left basketball, he was able to bring his work ethic, his grit, his determination to being an amazing storyteller. So what did he do? He had a podcast show for kids that dealt with dealing with pressure, anxiety, having fun. He won an Oscar uh, for his short film. He wrote children, children's books. Even during his career, he would write ads for Nike. He knew that sport was a metaphor for life. And he knew that the ball would eventually stop. And so he wrote. He wrote raps. He wrote stories. He wrote films. This is a creator. This is somebody who's more than a guy who would dribble the basketball. If Kobe was not six foot six and couldn't jump out the gym, I have no doubt that he still would have been successful in all these other areas of his life. And that's what separates him because I'm not sure. Look, a lot of the great ones, they intentionally set their mind to perform and do their craft and do it incredibly. And they create a framework and a system that works for them in that in that sport or in that art, but away from it, you take that art away from them, they might not be able to be successful. Kobe absolutely 
first of all, was. He had success immediately when he retired in the arts. And I think his storytelling and his his, uh, his marketing, uh, his, not marketing, his creation of stories and his firm that he was working on, it, it was going to be successful. It already had been. Uh, he, he had a best-selling book that, taught, that had pictures and used pictures. This is an artist. This is somebody who we can all learn from. You don't need to know anything about basketball to learn from Kobe Bryant. And that is really unique and really special. The other thing I want to hit on is self-belief. This guy believes in himself. And so many of us don't. He came straight out of high school at a time where he was a trailblazer to do that. Many people were afraid to do that. He had an option to go to Duke or North Carolina. Those were the two schools he was looking to. He would have been great at those places, but he decided to take a risk and go for it. He, he fell in the draft. He wasn't a top five pick, wasn't a top 10 pick. Uh, and then when he got there, he, he played in you know one of the biggest spotlights, probably the biggest spotlight in, in pro sports, Los Angeles Lakers, and showed up and competed right away and believed that he belonged in that gym. Uh, I were, I had uh, Phil Weber, who was a longtime basketball coach and, and worked with Kobe at one point, tell a story about Kobe uh, training and working out when he first got into the league. And Kobe was doing two-a-days and just working like crazy. Everybody in the NBA has got some Kobe story about his work ethic. And Phil, uh, at the end of the workout, said to Kobe, man, if you work out like this, you're going to be one of the all-time greats, probably. And Kobe looked at him and goes, oh, I will be one of the all-time greats. So Kobe had this self-belief that made him special, made him unique, made him go after a guy like Michael Jordan at the All-Star game. He didn't back down from people. He wasn't afraid to go for it, to take the shot. There's a playoff game early in his career against the Utah Jazz where he airballs these threes late in a game. And you know, it was devastating and most people would be hurt and crushed. Kobe used that failure as an opportunity to learn. He grew from it. He actually talked about when he reflected on why was he airballing, he said, I wasn't strong enough. I need to get back in the gym. And so he dedicated himself to the off season to get better so that he could continue to believe in himself. As long as he had a solution or something to work on, his self-belief was never going to be knocked down. So a lot of us face failure and we lose our self-esteem. This was somebody who, when he did struggle, he looked to solutions. So he created the Black Mamba. He got stronger. He went to go work on his footwork. He would always seek solutions when adversity hit. He didn't run away from the obstacles. He ran toward them. And that's another aspect of him that I'm, I'm just in awe of. Work ethic-wise, I've talked about it throughout this conversation. He was obsessive. He used that word, obsessive. He also, he didn't hang out in the clubs in LA. He was working on his craft. Uh, he always said, I work on my pull-up. He always worked on his pull-up, which is a type of basketball shot, because he knew that that's ultimately what it would come down to. When he was dribbling off the ball, he'd work on his pull-up. And so he, he was intentional about how he worked. His work ethic was not just for the sake of work ethic. It wasn't for Instagram likes or to let people know that he was working. He did it because he wanted to get better, and he wanted to be as good as he possibly could be. He went on Colin Coward's show and said, you know, Colin asked him, what's the best compliment you can get? And this was years ago. And he said that I'm a blue collar worker. That's an amazing answer. Not the best compliment is that I'm one of the best basketball players of all time. Not that I'm a hall of famer. He said, I want to be remembered as a blue collared worker. He said, if I approach the game as the last man on the team, the, you know, the 14th or 15th guy on the team, I think that will adhere to some good results. And so Kobe used his blue collar nature to get better, to improve so that he could be competitive. And this was a competitor. I think when you're 
when you're looking at sports, if you're not competitive, it's going to be really hard for you to fulfill your potential. This was somebody who, who went in a dunk contest and competed as a rookie and won the dunk competition. All-star games for him were always an opportunity to test himself. He, when he would get double teamed, he talked about, he, he would say, oh, bring a third. Let's go. Keep bringing it at me. He wanted, he wanted everyone's best to test his best. He also wanted to win without Shaq, as I mentioned earlier. He wanted to compete and wanted to see what it would be like to not have a dominant big man like Shaq. So competitiveness was absolutely a piece to his puzzle. And then the last thing I'll sort of talk about is this guy's grit. This was somebody who was just gritty. When he got hurt, he said, all right, I'm going to come back from this, and I'm determined to do so. He, he, would, uh, shoot a, he shot a left-hand shot, a left-hand free throw when he got hurt in a game. You know, Grit is passion and perseverance for long-term goals. That's how Professor Angela Duckworth, uh, that's her definition. But there's also another definition that the dictionary gives us, which is courage and resolve and strength of character. This is somebody who was courageous. He had resolve. He knew who he was and believed in himself and was not going to back down uh, when he was missing shots or when he was struggling in a game. As I said earlier, when he played in Utah, he had the resolve to get back from that, that failure and find a way and stay with it. So he's a resilient dude, and we should all strive to be resilient. When you think about some of the stuff I've talked about, work ethic, grit, competitiveness, uh, self-belief, thinking about how you can be great in other aspects of your life, mindfulness, alter egos with the mamba, imperfection and flaws, perfection, uh, curiosity, motivation or inspiration, and your ability to shift your mind. Those are all the areas that we all should be striving for, and it's why I fired up this podcast. So even though I didn't get the chance to sit down with Kobe, I consider him to be a mentor of mine. And I think we all can find mentors just like he did that we don't necessarily even know. Um, We can read about them. We can learn from them. And he said, if you're not obsessed with what you do, we don't speak the same language. And that's just an, an unbelievable message. If you're not obsessed with what you do, we don't speak the same language. So I'm always looking for people that are obsessed with what they do and are trying to figure out how they can be great in this life. And even though he died at 41, he left us so much knowledge, wisdom, information. And as he said, inspiration drives the world. I want to just thank you, Kobe, for inspiring me. And I hope that this conversation inspires you. Be intentional with what you're doing today. Go get it.